the book of Hebrews began in chapter 1, if you recall. God who at sundry times, in the King James, at times that are varied, various times, and in diverse manners, again, in various ways, he spoke through parables. He spoke through different enactments of the prophets, such as Ezekiel lying down on the side for a period of days. He spoke through many different things to convey to his people through Jeremiah to Isaiah to the major prophets, through the major prophets and the minor prophets. All 17 of them that are named in the Bible as having documented the word of the Lord and hundreds more down the centuries, thousands sometimes unnamed in the scripture. God has a message. God is a God who is always speaking, always. Always. We can tune in to the radio station coming from heaven, beamed directly from the throne room, throne room of God. We can have that radio station on in our car, in our homes, in the privacy of our hearts, 24-7. Because the Lord continually speaks. He speaks through dreams, through visions, through his messengers. Through all of this, the way he's spoken in the past, it all has come to a culmination and a fulfillment. He said now he's spoken to us through his very son that came down from heaven. He's done everything he can do. No wonder the world is guilty. He came down himself to visit this earth to declare his righteousness, he, to declare his purpose and his program. He actually came to declare his timeline also. What more can he do? He declared what's going to happen and what are the signs while people are busy in their own worlds, in their own kingdoms, the slaughter is coming upon the globe. God has come down and stated his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom to cause those kings and queens of their own kingdoms, self-centered lives, seeking their own glory and fame and favor and comfort, to surrender that citizenship, despise it to become a full-fledged citizen of heaven. What more could he do? He went to Calvary and gave his blood so he can redeem us. No wonder it's such a wicked crime for anyone to put off the gospel. No wonder God is not partial. Whether it's family or friends, he has the same gospel that everyone must surrender to. And the same judgment upon everyone without partiality. Because he's a holy God. He's a just God. He went the distance to the place called the skull. Golgotha. See his wounds. 
as Isaac Watts wrote a few centuries back. When I survey the wondrous cross, he said, when I look at this on which a prince of glory, the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. As the Apostle Paul said, everything is dung. Garbage, filth, everything he said I've ever gained in this life is garbage compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus. Isaac Watts wrote, When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. That's the problem. The Son of God has come and given us an understanding. He came from heaven to, told and to tell us. He told us to put down the pride that comes before the fall. Every single time. Pride is the culprit. God says destroy that thing. Don't act proud. Don't think proud. Don't think independently from God. Don't run from rebuke. Stay put. And if you see a roughness in you, a hardening of the heart, a dislike for the chastening of God, know that the culprit is pride. You've got to kill it, destroy it. Humility will cause our feet to stay put, our knees to be before God on the floor, our hearts to open wide and say, Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, it's a kindness to me to be rebuked by the righteous. It shall be an oil on my head. It won't break my head. The wounds are faithful that come from a friend, true friend. Lord, you are the truest friend. Whenever, Lord, you speak to us and you chasten us, we allow things to happen to get our attention is so that we repent of pride that opened the door many times for problems. And there are those, Father, who are walking with you and they have problems. But Lord, those problems will only vindicate them. As you step forward like you did with Job and defend the honor of your children who are faithful to your counsel. Isaac Watts went on to write, where every, were every realm of nature mine. He said, if I owned nature every bit of nature you can see from the mountains from the valleys every beauty every fortress in nature every tremendous miracle God has wrought in nature Isaac Watts the author of this hymn centuries ago said if all of it belonged to me if all of nature belonged to me it is too small of a gift to give to God. He's so worthy. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Where every realm of nature mine, that gift was still far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. favorite hymn that I 
instantly took to, even when I was very young in the church, especially through my affliction with asthma, a lot of suffering, a lot of fear, and a lot of uncertainty, instability. Words like these became my anchor because they're rooted in Scripture. And I love to sing it. There's a special touch to these kinds of hymns, contrary to many contemporary songs that are uninspired by God. It really brings, it to, brings us into perspective that we no longer are complainers. No longer play the blame game. Always looking to carve out a little piece of the pie where we can look good. It really causes us to say, I'm no good. Not to put ourselves down when God gives us worth, but when we sin against God and some pride is there and some foolishness that opened the door, we ventured out to see what we can see and do what we can do. Even in the name of Christ, calling ourselves Christian, but not following God's counsel. And we own up to it, that's all. Say, Lord, that was a bad decision. And I can't take it lightly, Lord, because it's an insult to your holiness. And it's a threat against your honor in my life. I'm so sorry, Lord. Never will I do my own will. I want to do your will. Say, Lord, I'm no good in and of myself. I'm really, really bad. That's why you had to come and save me from myself, from my sins. And Lord, I'm going to be extra careful that I don't become headstrong and become proud. I don't fight with flesh, with other people. But I do my battle on my knees against Satan who works through people. And Lord, I, I put down anger, I put down impatience that can cause a whole host of trouble for my life and for the life of those who are in my circle. I want to be the person that leads the way and shows people how to be kind and forgiving. I don't want anything that would beset me, set me aside and hinder me in the race. And so we continue with Hebrews 12. This Jesus that came down from heaven, the Son of God, God appeared in the flesh. There's a sighting. Somebody saw God walking over there. All over the world, news report, the gospel. God came down from heaven. He's been sighted in a land called Israel. And he was publicly available for at least three or three and a half years. So that people like the woman with the issue of blood can make your way to the Savior and receive a healing by faith. Oh, God. People were outcasts in society. Nobody wanted them. Nobody could tolerate them. Everybody was afraid of them, that they're going to catch what they have. He went to the leper and touched him, said, I love you. You matter to me. I have my eyes upon you. And he took ten of them one day, planned from eternity past, to show them his salvation, his grace, his healing. Only one came back to say thank you. Only one really got saved because of the faith that my healing didn't come from any magic potion. It didn't come from my own good behavior. It came from the grace of my God. 
I owe all to him. How can I say thanks for all you've done to me? Even the voices of a million angels, not enough to show my gratitude. All that I am, I owe it all to you, Lord. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. We ought to come to the point to say, I'm tired of that ugly, carnal part of my existence. It does nothing but bring death to my soul. I hate it. What is this carnal part of me? Is this something abstract that I can write poems about and sing about and do nothing about? No, it's actually something very real. In Galatians 5:22, we see the manifestation, the fruit of that old nature, and we are to be on the lookout for that and to say, I hate it, I crucify it in Jesus' name. Every filth of this world that I had something to do with, every pride, I don't want it anymore, every impatience and anger that is unrighteous, what do I have to do with it? I can't afford to keep those serpents in my home. They'll turn on me and kill me. Kill it. That's what the Bible says. Don't talk to it and reason with your flesh. Crucify it. Hallelujah. There's no other way to be alive in God but to crucify the flesh. For the life I now live in the flesh, that is not the carnal way, but the body, the physical body, the spirit that we have that's housed in this physical temple, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Before that is written, I am crucified with Christ. All of that self-loving nature. When will the day come when we say, to hell with the flesh, where it belongs. To hell with that seeking to look good in the eyes of other people, to make myself look good. To hell with that. Because it comes from hell. I'm supposed to honor my God and let Jesus be seen always. Not to see how I can manipulate with my words, with my actions, to try to carve out some portion of looking good and caring about what people think. Getting highly offended instantly if somebody should say something negative about me. You can know that flesh is alive and well. It's not been crucified. And it's our honor to say, I've identified you, my enemy, this fleshly nature. I'm going to crucify you now in Jesus' name. Get out. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm not going to be hateful and despising others. I'm going to love them with a pure love to seek their salvation, but I don't care whether they hate me. I'm going to continue to follow Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. To do His will. I'm crucified with Christ. That's a parallel verse you can jot down if you're taking that. We cannot strip ourselves of any weight any hindrance to the walk of faith until we crucify the flesh. And the Bible says, let it go. It's a violent 
hatred with a hatred toward that thing. This is the culprit that's keeping me from running for my king. I hate it. Get out in Jesus' name. Notice who has the responsibility. With the grace that God's provided, it's you and I. God helps us to identify what it is if we want to see. We can also choose to put blinders and pretend not to see it. Oh, I don't, I don't have pride. Don't talk about pride. I don't have any pride. Well, it's manifest right there. Some people say, I don't lie. And in the very act of saying that they don't lie, they're proving that they're liars. But one who comes to God honestly says, Lord, I want you to show me every nook and corner in my soul, in my mind, that is unlike Christ, so that I can clean house. I can't go on like this. I want to run for you, Lord. Hallelujah. I want to really be your friend, Lord. As I point out now and then, there's a song that says, I am a friend of God. A lot of shouting and a lot of music. Very popular. But God wants to know, who will be my friend? I can be the friend of sinners. Jesus, friend of sinners. But who will be my friend? And how do you become a friend of God? What is the uh, requirement? We've all read stories and perhaps we have seen uh, films, maybe sitcoms, movies, where there's a group that thinks they're elite, whether it's in the classroom or in some societal circle. And uh, they're the beautiful people, quote-unquote. They're supposed to be the people that are... uh, very popular and everybody wants to be their friend. And so you have in that particular depiction of this real life scenario that um, these are the qualifications to be a friend of so-and-so. We see in uh, gang life, these are the initiation, initiation rites. You have to qualify to be in With Jesus, there's also a qualification that's required to be his friend. That's to be a full-fledged enemy of Satan in the flesh. To hate. To hate the flesh. Because it's written, the carnal mind, the flesh, is an enemy of God. That means, just like it says in James, chapter 4 and verse 4, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So in Romans 8 it's written, the carnal mind is an enemy of God. That means if I am friendly with the world or my flesh, not my body, it could be if I love my body more than I should, and I seek my self-comfort more than the will of God. I'm not willing to lay down my life and deny myself so that I can advance spiritually. There's a problem. But the carnal mind is enmity, enmity with God. So if I'm friendly with the fleshly part and I haven't crucified it, I make myself an enemy of God. If I have pride, I become an enemy of God. And that's why the Spirit of God helps us to go deep into the Word time and time again, really drill it home and expose 
what the Word of God exposes about us so we can deal with it instead of living in a fairy tale type of Christianity and say my prayers and plead the blood of Jesus and say the promises and cast out this spell and invoke God's blessings and go about my day and never stopping to let the roots go deep and become mature where I can identify my biggest enemy is the flesh within. If I don't crucify it, that flesh will lead me to the devil to serve the devil. What are the works of these flesh? What are the things that I need to cast off and throw away violently? The surgeon doesn't delicately coddle that part that needs to be discarded from our bodies if it's cancerous. They treat it with a very grave concern. And they use every means necessary to get the body to separate from that thing. There's a violence that's done there. There's a cutting off. This is exactly the type of action that God requires of us. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And then again, it's written in Romans 13, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. What is this thing, the flesh? What would God ask us to strip off in this race but the works of the flesh? These things that hinder us. Come with me to Galatians chapter 5 so we can look in detail and not deal in allegorical terms or in some kind of broad generalization and never really make progress. We're not here to read the scriptures to say I finished the book of Hebrews, but to say I've learned and I've applied and I've grown spiritually as a result of studying the book of Hebrews. What is this thing that I must strip off? Someone please read. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 19 and 20 and 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I'd like someone to read that, please. In addition to what we just heard, someone please read it in the New Living Translation. The same verses. Praise God, Pastor. Galatians uh, 5, verse 19 to 21, New Living Translation. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. 
sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasureness, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that, short, that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Praise God. Aren't you glad that God shows us very precisely exactly what to avoid? And how do Christians engage in these things? How do they expect to run in the race while having sexual immorality in their lives? Surely this is one of the things that they must cast away from their lives altogether, completely. How do they expect to run with impurity, with lustful pleasures? Is that the kind of race God has called them to run? To say, God bless you, God loves you, God's not mad at you, I'm not mad at you. We're all supposed to get along together and love each other and, you know, let's go on a bike tour together, let's go visit nature. Let's have a, a kumbaya time. Let's sing, come by here, Lord, and let's have campfires and great, wonderful, beautiful times together while lust, the serpent, is right there in the midst. But he calls us to slay those things, strip us of those things, to cast it away. Idolatry. A person who says that he or she loves Christ, but they worship their car. They worship their house. They don't know how to bring it before God and say, Lord, it's here to reflect your glory. Someone who's involved in sorcery. Some have said pharmakeia. Drugs. All kinds of persuasions. Can I be a Christian and do those things? According to the Bible here, no. No. Anybody that calls themselves a Christian engaged in witchcraft, drugs, immorality, idolatry, they're not making it to heaven. And it's your job and my job, first of all, to be free from that and then go preach it to people, to wake them up. Instead of coddling them, say, God loves you, God will forgive you, and uh, he loves you anyway, you know, um, he's not going to disown you. No, 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 no. And what happens? Next thing you hear, they overdosed and they went to hell. Because nobody stood up and said, listen, I, want, I don't know who told you those lies that you have time. You really don't know. What you're engaged in now, you're a heartbeat away from hell. Know that. Even if you're an intern somewhere, ministry, you're a head of a ministry, or you just got saved. God is not playing games. He's the judge of all flesh. He's not partial. He's impartial. With God, there's no respect of persons. If you call yourself a Christian, we need to tell our friends and our family the way God leads, of course, in the time that God says. But we must tell the truth. We can't water it down because they may kill them. 
that will kill them. But we need to tell them, if you're going to run the race as a believer and you want to make it happen, Galatians 5, 19 to 21 says that certain things in your life will take you to hell. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's for sure. Wild parties, drunkenness. Some people say, God's not mad at people. Christians have a good time. So what? They got drunk one day out of 365 days and a quarter day. You think God's going to exclude that person from heaven? Really? That's not the God kind of God I serve. As someone told us in a mission when we were preaching one day years ago, a man interrupted and said, you mean to tell me that if I uh, commit some sin and I get hit by a car, I'm going to go to hell? And we explained the irrationality of the sentiment behind that question. To say, contrary to what the Holy Spirit has recorded in the book of Peter and elsewhere, that a dog that returned to the vomit can still be clean? No. Better for that person never to have known the way of righteousness than to have known the way of righteousness, to taste it, to have tasted of the grace of God and to turn back against the grace of God. They're not going to be saved. And that gentleman, I should say, in a polite way, he was not gentle actually. That hostile man, hostile man, very angry and he stirred up dissension. But God has the victory. Those who are faithful, they benefited. They blessed. They were blessed. They were saved. But this man had a problem. You know why? You know who has a problem with the true doctrine of holiness? People who love sin somewhere in their lives. They have an affinity for sin. That's the problem. A person who engages in envy, God says, they're not coming into my kingdom. What's the alternative? Hell and the lake of fire. A person who's angry and has outbursts of anger? Really, God? You mean a person can be disqualified from heaven? Remember Moses? There's a parallel and a figurative example right there. For the outburst of anger that day, he missed Canaan. For us, spiritually speaking, God has shown us here. For a lifestyle of anger, selfish ambition, a continual jealous life and jealous heart, having these eyes of envy, looking up and down a person to see what they've got. She thinks she's better than me. He thinks he's better than me. To be threatened on the inside because we're foul, that's why. But a person who's clean on the inside, they don't have anything to do with envy. They're happy when others succeed and prosper. When somebody has something good, Instead of saying good for you with a twist and sarcasm, God bless you with a muttering underneath the breath after that saying, I wouldn't want to be you or I want to be you. There's a wholehearted desire that that third person should prosper in the ways of God. Be blessed. If somebody is materially blessed, to make sure that we crucify that flesh part that gets upset because we won't make it to heaven with that. Jealousy. Quarreling. To get the last word in. Keep on 
arguing. God said, you're not coming to my heaven. Because that's the work of Satan. To bicker and feud. Be vengeful. And try to get the last word in. Division, those who cause division. He that sowed discord, God says, their part is the lake of fire. They're abominable to God. God hates that when somebody comes and turns one brother against another brother, a sister against a sister, a brother, sister. Deliberately spreading lies and twisting the truth because of anger, envy, hatred. But love covers a multitude of sins. And there's a time to speak out and speak up. Jesus himself said, church discipline is necessary. He commands it in the church. He said, if there's a problem, there's an accusation, there's an offense, go and speak to that person directly. That person doesn't want to hear? Go ahead and tell it to another brother. Take another brother with you. If they don't want to face up to that and still continue to offend, tell it to the church. If not, God will take action. That person will be commanded by God to be put out. The church of Jesus Christ, the church of the Lord, is a holy church. There's a divine order. And the instruction that God gives is good for the soul. And the discipline that he meets out, M-E-T-E, is good for the health of the church. And the point this morning is besetting sins. We need to identify. Right here we have a list. We have more than a dozen clearly outlined functions, characteristics, attributes, evidence that the flesh is alive and well in a believer's life. A total contradiction. To spot it and say, I'm chucking this today. I'm divorcing myself. Cutting it out from my life. No more jealousy. No more outbursts of anger. No more envy. No more desire for wild parties. No more desire for drunkenness. I hate everything that God hates. I will crucify impurity. I don't need to vaunt my flesh to try to attract someone. When I go to the supermarket, when I go outside, when I go to the job, when I go to a friend's house, when I go to church, everywhere, not just in church, I'm carrying the presence of God with me, if that's the case. I have no part of the flesh. But notice the contrary. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Very simple. Nothing complicated in our lives. Would somebody please read verses 22 and 23? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
as straightforward, very easily understood, no complication. These nine fruit, quote-unquote, nine facets of the production from the Spirit of God working in our lives. How do you know when somebody's filled with the Spirit? They have the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the patience of God. Not anger and impatience. How do you know somebody's running well? Oh, I, I can't judge people. I can't judge people's hearts. Only God can judge their hearts. There's a truth to it, but there's also a lie that could make use of that statement. How? A tree is known by its fruit. The Lord said it very, very clearly. A bad tree is not going to give you bad fruit. That is good fruit. And a good tree is not going to give you bad fruit. So, to a large measure, actually, as was mentioned last evening, we can actually judge righteous judgment. We can actually know when somebody is walking in the Spirit to a large extent. Now, we can't know the whole heart, obviously. Only God knows the entire heart. But we can know one thing. That if somebody likes to get drunk, they're serving Satan. No matter what they say about loving Jesus, doing Bible studies and having Jesus bumper stickers and worship music, they actually are in servitude to the devil because they are following the works of the flesh and coddling that. I can't say at that point, well, I can't judge them and say that they're following the flesh. I can't. Uh, they're, all I know is they love God and they've got a really good heart. No, I'd be joining the lie of the devil that's holding them captive. Myself, I'd be joining that lie. Because if they live in the flesh to serve the flesh and the desires of the flesh, my Bible says, and I got it from God, He's the author of the scriptures. Galatians 5.21 Remember this, brothers and sisters, as a weapon in your arsenal against the lies of the devil to help you stay free and clean and help others you know get free and stay free. My Bible tells me out of these lists of works of the flesh enumerated in Galatians 5.19-21 that people who live this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, which means they're going to hell. I will never say that again. I will never say, I can't judge that person's heart. I know they're doing drugs and they're in alcohol and sorcery. I know they spread division. They're angry at the people who belong to God and they have a lot of jealousy. You know, they got a lot of problems, but they got a good heart. So all of those uh, productions, manifestations of the flesh are coming from a good heart. And Jesus said, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
I need to be able to say they're in deep trouble with God. Not just to be put on the shelf, oh, God can't use you now. No, you're headed for hell. Repent. Open your eyes wide. You that sleep, you're dead spiritually. Wake up, O sleeper, and Christ will give you light. You better run from those things and do whatever it takes to flee the land that has the wrath of God coming upon it. Cut off communication with people where the devil will try to snag you back into destruction very quickly. Be very careful of misrepresenting God's holy doctrine and being a false judge, giving pardons to cold-blooded murderers who repeatedly murder. Don't you be that accomplice to the devil to try to catch those people and force them into God's heaven. It's not going to work. You're not the judge. God is a holy God. So we need to judge righteous judgment to know whether it's in our own life or the lives of other people. If I'm carrying these cumbersome weights, they will hinder me in my race and disqualify me if I don't get it out. Isn't that right? People who do steroids in athletic competitions are disqualified altogether. In some cases, somewhere, perhaps, they may be warned very severely. Usually they get disqualified. God has rules. Some people say Christianity is not a bunch of rules and laws. Uh, It's grace, all grace. And we can have all these songs that are on the radio that are not at all inspired by God, but they pass off as Christian songs, keeping people dull, very much active in their rebellion, while giving them a false assurance. I'm a child of God. I have the grace of God. I love God. He loves me. I'm going to go to heaven and Uh, There's no fear in love. And God told me this and God told me that. There are people who are in hell who spoke just like that. We need to look at what it is my hands are up to. What's going on in the imagination of my heart? God sees the heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So people can see too, to a very large extent. By not only the language that is filled with profanity or void of it, but the the ideas behind the words. Who is speaking in a way to stir up jealousy and provoke someone to envy? Who is flaunting with their words? Who is looking for credit, to take credit? Who is looking to spread dissension and discord? Who is so idgety and feisty and, and can't sit still? Their fingers do the talking. They can't help but text and send things to shoot off things and without stopping themselves and thinking, is this wise before God? Who, because they're not wise, have opened the door for some brother or sister to get attacked by the enemy? We can know a lot about ourselves when we study the Word of God by the help of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God loves us. He doesn't want us to fall He doesn't want us to get beat up by the devil, by the devil's false theology. 
So you can know whether you're running well or not running so well. And it doesn't take a hangover or being beat up sorely because I opened my mouth too wide, shot off words and got punched in the mouth. We don't have to wait for things to happen. But we are chastened severely for all to see. To scratch our heads and think, now, maybe I did something wrong. Imagine that, a motorist sitting on the side of the road with the vehicle crushed because they were going 100 miles an hour in a 65 zone, intoxicated. Imagine the irony and the pathetic state of that individual when law enforcement is there, the ambulance is there, friends and relatives and other motorists, and the person is sitting down clears the throat and makes a profound statement, scratches the head and says, maybe, just maybe, I did something wrong here. Maybe I, I'm responsible. I, I don't know. We can know for sure. If we look into the Word of God intently, the perfect law of liberty will set me free completely from any hold of Satan in my life. That's the power of God's word. If I have integrity to stop running around, catching phrases and rubbing shoulders with people who are also in a delusion. No, clearly, I cannot afford to have the works of the flesh in my life if I'm going to run the race God has set before me. But I'm going to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can know that you're running well when you have this manifest in your life. You can know when others are running well when they have this manifest in their lives. After all, Jesus said, you can know a tree by its fruit. Why did he say that? Did he say that because only God can know? He's just giving a revelation, inside, inside scoop. Let me just tell you what happens in heaven. How God alone can see. No, we can see also to a large extent. This morning, the devil's lie is exposed when people say, you can't know my heart, I can't know your heart, nobody can know anybody's heart. We're just going to mingle together like cattle. And eventually at the end of the day, We'll know who fell off the cliff and who didn't. We can know every step we take, whether it's a step in the Holy Spirit or a step in the flesh headed toward destruction. That's why the Lord said by the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Peter in the sermon in the book of Acts, save yourselves from this perverse generation, untoward generation. How can I save myself from it unless I know that it's evil? How can I know if evil is lurking in me? It's laid out right here, all over the Bible, but especially here. Back to Hebrews 12 as we close this morning. A great encouragement. How? To stay clean. To stay strong. And to run victoriously. Finish well in this race. No matter the past. 
even if up till this morning you have allowed things in the flesh to control and dominate your life. You can say, Lord, the mask has been ripped off for the devil. I'm not going to allow the works of the flesh in my life anymore. I'm not going to run with cliches that the devil has concocted in hell. To know that I can't judge my heart, you can't judge me, I can't judge you. Yes, God is the judge. We have one judge, but he gives us his spirit. And when we walk even closer with God, as Pastor has alluded many times, God will give revelation. Even when somebody's words seem to be spiritual and their appearance seems to be squeaky clean as a full-fledged believer on fire for God. Do you know how many people we have met in our travels who claim to be on fire for God and other people, even ministry leaders, said, oh yeah, he's on fire for God. She's on fire for God. God showed us they're faking it. They're actually set on fire by hell because they have sin that they have in their hearts. Through prophecy and through the word, it was exposed through counsel. Literally. I remember one example. I've said this before. I believe in Mississippi. Actually, no, Louisiana. Louisiana. We went to two or three teen challenges there when we traveled. This man came so exuberant, filled with joy. He said, wow, the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully. He said, I want what you have. I love God. And he helped us pack up the equipment. And he said, where are you staying? And he came and visited us. And he said about God's call in his life and where God's going to take him and all these great things. And I just asked him, I said, Brother, do you have sin in your life? Do you have anything to do with uncleanness? Immediately his head hung low. He said, that's my problem. He said, I'm married, but I have these issues going on and I'm supposed to go with my wife after I finish this program and minister in Alaska. We have everything set up. And he started tearing up. We led them. We led him to repentance. I told him, you can have ministry, you can have everything, all the credentials and everybody's support that you're a great guy. But I want to tell you this evening, you're going to go to hell if you don't repent of your adultery. He hugged us, he thanked us, and he left. I saw a picture of him a few years later with his wife happily serving the Lord in Alaska, leading others in the ways of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. I want to clarify one thing before we conclude. 
lest someone take these sentences and think, well, Pastor, just as the besetting sin will kind of, um, you know, this weight will just trip me up, you know, it'll slow me down a little bit. That's about it. And I'm supposed to pick up, you know, when I, when I chuck that thing out of my race, uh, run with endurance, and I'll finish well. A weight, a hindrance, a cumbersome entity is a dangerous thing because it is blocking us, blocking us from pursuing God. What is that? It's from Satan. Since when does anything from Satan merely is meant to slow us down and not kill us? The works of the flesh, does it just slow us down or does it kill us? The things that come to hinder our walk and our race with God, are they just designed to kind of slow us down a little bit? Or is that slowing down indicative of a change of course toward hell? Since when did anyone go full-blown into crack cocaine? From one second to the next. Since when does an individual grow up to be a mass murderer? Overnight. Since when does one become a professional adulterer and liar? Juggling everything very, very carefully. Blocking the phone messages and keeping everything a secret from the spouse. While playing faithful husband and faithful dad. Do these things happen overnight? Or do they start with one glance? Oh, it just hindered me today. I just felt flattered. You know, this lady at the office, she's so much better than my wife. I mean, her perfume, the way she does her hair, the way she walks. You know, she compliments me. I feel valued in her presence. That's how full-blown adultery starts. A single cigarette. Maybe be coughing a whole lot that night. But I did it. I did it. Oh, my! they think I'm cool now and I feel cool. Coughing, but cool. Next couple of days, not so much coughing. Hey, since you're a big boy, you're a big girl, and you joined the gang, I want to show you something else. This stuff, this is it. What stuff? Well, I'm not going to show you now. Come on, show me. What stuff? Uh, you have to wait till next Friday. Come on. And others come around. Oh, you don't know what we've got. We've got the good stuff. I can't wait till Friday. What is it? This little thing, and you got to just snort it in your nose. Really? You mean it's going to make me a hundred times more satisfied than those cigarettes? Oh, you guys are doing it? And you held it as something special for the weekend just for me? I can't wait to try it. The bait, the language, the curiosity, the false promise that Satan brings of satisfaction. Setting up the person for a slaughter didn't happen overnight. So know this. 
if God cautions us about some offense, some stumbling block that will slow us down in the race, know this, that has the potential to disqualify us from the race if we don't get rid of it. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. The wages of sin is death. Sin is deceitful. It kills. Mortify that sin. Destroy it before it destroys you. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The Bible warns believers all the time, be on guard 24-7, walk carefully with God, carefully with God. Consider what your eyes are allowed to see. You are giving permission to your own eyes. You'll be held accountable for what you allowed to come in front of your eyes. Do like my daughters and my children did, like we do. You go to a department store, even to the supermarket, you see some magazine, not pornographic per se. It's just a magazine. Just an actor on the cover. Is that, act, is that actor a puppet of Satan? You have nothing to do with it. Don't look that way. You can actually train your eyes and your heart to hate that stuff. To treat it as vomit. Well, all the world and lukewarm Christians like to say, you know, this actor and I saw this one and that one did this and that singer. What do they represent? Purity or vomit? You make a decision whether your eyes are going to look at that or not. When you hear songs, you know the devil try to pull strings. And all of a sudden he brings a song that brings back memories and nostalgia. Right there you need to rebuke that. And say, I don't care how nice it sounds about friendship and all that. No, it's not from God. It's from the devil. This is his first step to try to bait me into delusion. Hate that thing with a passion. And say, I'll only sing songs to worship God. If only these simple truths were preached across the churches in the United States and through the world. And I thank God it is being preached in some places. But too few That's why there's mass confusion, delusion. And people wonder, how did my son ever get into drugs? And how did you end up in prison again? How did you, how could you, Junior, carjack somebody? What's gotten into you? Didn't I teach you right? Didn't I take you to Sunday school? Didn't you finish the whole Bible study and BBS? And didn't you get honors in the Boy Scouts? Didn't you help the Joneses next door cut the grass for free? What happened to my boy? Nobody taught that boy because the parents were dulled in their own spiritual life. They thought, you know what? If it ain't broke, why fix it? He's getting good grades. He helps the neighbors. He even saves the last cookie for his little sister. He's very generous. I know he likes to play his video games and some of them are, well... A little racy. You know the young generation, younger generation. They like these things with guns and ammo and blowing up people. After all, it's just imagination. 
foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him, said in the book of Proverbs. But you know what? Before the parent can administer that which will save the soul of the child and diagnose that child's problem accurately by the Spirit of God, the parent has to come before God and say, Lord, is there any foolishness in my own life? What right do I have to tell my own daughter about her foolishness when I have foolishness alive and well in my life? And so, Lord, I'm not going to be the hypocrite and I'm going to continue in my foolishness and let my daughter continue in hers and I will put my arm around her and console her and tell her, you know, we're all foolish babies and we're all going to have some ups and downs and God understands and that's where the grace of God comes in. So, let's go and worship God and all will be well. When the parent goes before God and says, Lord, I can't afford to be an Eli. I don't want to have my neck broken. Go to hell. God, forgive me of my own foolishness. I vow, Lord, to hate with all the passion within me that which you hate. I'm so sorry for inviting sin to live with me in my apartment, in my house, in my heart. I will kill it, Lord, and show my daughter how to kill it in her life. We can both make it to heaven. How do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're going to end with a great encouragement. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given yourselves or your lives in your struggle against sin. You've hardly suffered in your fight against sin. Come on. Be a good soldier. People, as Mike uh, recently shared in his testimony and during prayer, he said, I abused my body for sport out of foolishness. For some kind of crown that was temporal. How much more we should be willing to say, Lord, I don't care what it takes. Sin and me have nothing to do with each other. That's my mortal enemy. I'm not going to be walking on eggshells afraid, be paranoid, but I'm going to be militant against sin. Why? Because only those who are holy are going to make it to heaven, Lord. And I'm determined to be holy. Hallelujah. And you have forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children. Have you forgotten it? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. There's two kind of punishment. There are two kinds of punishment. One is the punishment that comes as a spanking to God's own children who he loves so much to keep them from destroying themselves, going in the wrong way. And when they repent, he embraces them and hugs them, holds them tight, close to his chest. The other punishment for the wicked is to destroy them altogether because they refuse God's correction, they refuse God's love and mercy. And they're actively involved in corrupting other people. God blazes in fury against anyone who does that. 
Verse 7, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. So beware of preaching and teaching and fellowships that are uh, merely legalistic and uh, run in a worldly way with a worldly business mindset and a worldly oppressive regime type of setup as we have seen, unfortunately, in many faith-based rehab centers and churches. Using carnal means and throwing one's weight to show their superiority, oppressing people, not showing the genuine grace of God, not praying with them, not showing them the truth, but just coming down hard on some technicality because it's bad for business. Instead of saying, I want you to prosper make it to heaven. I want you to be a soul winner. I want to show you what real love is. It's when truth is embraced in your life and sin is rejected. There's going to be some punishment, some discipline in the church of Jesus Christ. There's going to be some taking away of responsibility because it's a holy place. But don't get discouraged because of that. Be happy and thankful. You didn't continue on the path of destruction, presuming upon God's grace. Doing things seemingly behind God's back while pretending to be a good Christian and serving God. Praise God for exposing that, giving a chance to repent. You see the difference? Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? It's not talking about abusive fathers and foolish people, but generally speaking about fathers who are normal have a natural instinct to spank the child who is reckless and doing things that are destructive because of love to save them. How much more the discipline that comes from the perfect father? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Hallelujah. See? Holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. They put, take it all. Take it all. Let it do its work in you. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. That's the goal of all of God's instruction. Right living. For those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Come on, get up, let's do this. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. This is one particular interpretation that's been embedded into this translation. But primarily, is to pay attention to our own walk first. To make sure that our path is righteous. It's straight. No adultery. No envy, no outbursts of anger, no wrath, no dissension, no sorcery, none of that stuff. No loving for pleasure, vain pleasure, 
no abuse of one's body. You can just extend this because the Bible says right there, and many other such things. The Holy Spirit will speak to us loud and clear when we have ears to hear. He'll tell us, you know what, that clothing that you're selecting, I know it's popular. I know it looks great on you. You think? I know you think, I should say. God may say that to us. I know you think it looks great on you. But I'm telling you, it's not good for you. It's not becoming of my daughter, of my son. Let me show you the best. Something that's really, really beautiful. People know there's a distinctive quality. to your choices and it will never cause anyone to fall into sin because you presumed upon your choices to be right and didn't really consider before me what you should do God will speak and say you don't speak to that person oh but God I feel so sorry I feel pulled to go to that person you know the devil can come through feelings very often to really make us feel a lot of love. I just got to go and help that person, Lord. I want to be a good Christian, Lord. Not knowing that the devil is setting you up. But if we are accustomed to the Word of God and devour the Word of God and it becomes our life, we'll be able to hear God's voice very clearly. Because he will see that we're fit for more revelation. We can walk in a very, very solid, firm, sure way to please the Father 24-7 and save a lot of people, a lot of people, by God's grace, from living in delusion, from that devil as the Father lies. May God use you to save someone soul by living the truth and speaking the truth in love finishing a race well may God use me to do the same for the glory of God that we pray thank you Holy One thank you Jesus Lord you told us to listen to your voice As Lord, we're going to see in the next verse, next time, that we ought to be peace lovers and peacemakers, but never truth compromisers. Lord, we ought to work at living a holy life. Because you said those who are not holy, do not live holy, will never see the Lord. But thank you, Lord, that we can know exactly what is the culprit, what are the culprits, that are seeking to hinder us and disqualify us from the race altogether. To be militant to cut that thing off from our lives, those things. Thank you. Lord, so that we can make it to heaven and take many people with us to heaven. And thank you, Lord, that we ought to work at cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. This day I pray that every one of us would pay closer attention 
to see whether we have any works of the flesh as we read about to get rid of it to put it to death and to see whether we can cultivate the works of the spirit the fruit of the spirit the work of the Holy Spirit the production of the Holy Spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control help us to keep an eye out Lord for the cultivation of these fruits that they may be increasingly evident in our lives so we can prove ourselves to be good trees bearing good fruit free glory in Jesus name I thank you Father Amen